What a treat that I had an opportunity to talk to Caroline Westerhold, one of the founding members of CPW Law in Lincoln, Nebraska. How did helping with a tooth extraction help her determine what she did and didn't want to do with her career? You're going to learn a lot from Caroline about how her work ethic really shapes her today and where all that work ethic came from and also how she and her partners have really developed great flexibility in their workplace with that people-first culture. She comes from Ashland, Nebraska, which is her Mayberry, and she's got a lot of leadership lessons to give to you. So enjoy this episode. I am dying to say I object, Your Honor. Something I say to you all the time, right? Sure do. Too much. <laughs> uh, Caroline, it is it is great to have you here. And you know, when we do this show, one of the things I love to do is start kind of where you get your big influences that, that really drive you into your profession and and really how you are influenced. And one of your big influences when it comes to picking your career had to do with a tooth extraction. <laughs> uh, pulling yeah. a tooth or watching your father, who was a longtime small town family dentist, had you working with him one summer. So start there because you went from thinking dentistry to something else. Uh, yeah. You know, I was one of those kids that I was just kind of a lost soul in terms of my direction and the path and what my interest was. And so I think in a attempt to find a path for me. My dad had suggested maybe he spend a summer in his dental office working as his dental assistant, janitor, whatever needed done. And so I did, when I was in high school, I spent one summer with my dad, um, which I mean, that in and of itself is a, a lot to spend that much time <laughs> sure. with your dad when you're a high school girl. But, um, you know, I got along pretty good and I thought, I was, yeah, this, maybe this is interesting. I, maybe I can see myself doing this until the day that my dad asked me to assist with some tooth extractions, which I think fair to say I was probably in worse shape than that poor patient when I had to watch and listen to that tooth extraction. So yeah, that brought my career as a dentist to a screeching halt. And I think both dad and I agreed that probably wasn't the direction I should go. So you see, this is why you do these things yeah. though, right? You yep. know, you get some experience, you figure out this is not for me. Yep. So you go from that queasy stomach yep. and when does it hit you that, Hey, look, I want to maybe do law. Is it down the road? Is it when you're no. a kid? What What were your influences? So I was all the way through undergrad um, and actually graduated and still really not sure what I wanted to do. I had an ag business major, obviously. We're in Nebraska, number one industry in Nebraska, agriculture. How can you go wrong? Ag business. I'll get my degree. I'll sort it all out later. And then... Um, we actually had a family farm and there were some issues that came up with the family farm and some legal issues and some, you know, legislative issues. And I kind of thought, well, wow, this is kind of, this is kind of cool. This is kind of neat. And so I went and took the LSAT and applied for law school and got accepted the following year. And even going into law school, I kind of knew there were pieces of the law that I found interesting, but I didn't have a clear direction of, I want to go be a litigator. I want to go do corporate work. I want to go be a lobbyist. I just knew there was something about it that kind of piqued my interest. So I thought, what the heck, you know, uh, nothing better to do. Let's go to law school and see how this works out. So. so if you'd not grown up in an ag setting, and that's one thing that we should talk about, here's what's intriguing about your background. Huh. Just the other day, I talked with another successful business person. <laughs> 
Her start, I mean, a, a big part of growing up was 4-H. Oh, yeah. Living out on an acreage with her parents, riding horses, yep. competing in rodeos. Yep. You have a similar background. What is it about rodeo 4-H that really kind of helps, uh, you know, g- give you some direction? You know, I think those those activities require a high level of responsibility. And, you know, it really falls to you to take care of that animal, to to do the practicing and then to be able to show up and put it all together in a group of people. And so I'm a big fan of the 4-H and the high school rodeo. I have um, a nephew right now that has borrowed our cutting horses so that he can use them for high school rodeo. So I spent last weekend in Central City at a high school rodeo helping him. Yeah, don't make that face because you had a ball. You had a ball. I do. I love every (laughs) second of it. Every second. You once told me that, hey, you know, baseball in the summers, got to go softball because you want to hang out with horses, right? Yes. So this is the first summer, and I don't know how many years, that Cooper decided he was just going to do basketball this summer, quit baseball. Harper decided to quit softball because she, too, loves horses, and she would much rather spend her weekends hauling to horse shows, hauling out west to the ranches, and, and, yeah, spend her time doing that, which I was happy to accommodate. I think my response to her was, yeah, Harper, you're right. Softball's stupid. Let's go haul some horses this summer. <laughs> I love it. Well, we've got all the softball fans now uh, on our Yeah, side I was going to say, sorry, <laughs> all the softball moms. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think that you and I, of course, hail from the same town in Ashland. Mm-hmm. All right, so there's something about growing up in a small town that kind of helps form your thoughts and who you are. And tell me about growing up in Ashland, Nebraska. So I actually went to country school until I got to middle school. So I feel like my connection with town probably came a little little late because it was middle school. But in small towns, they're the best, you know. And, and obviously, I don't have anything to compare it with because I've never lived anywhere other than Ashland. But I feel like there's such a strong sense of community and giving back. You have folks like Chuck Niemeyer and Dave Lutton and Dave Libby who make a very conscious effort to support the community and to develop the community in the right way. I always joke that maybe they've done a little too good of a job because now everybody wants to come to our beautiful town. Um, But there's just always so much support and opportunity, which is surprising from such a small town. But, you know, we have astronauts, we have lawyers, um, we have entrepreneurs, and they're all happy to always give you their time and their support. And so, you know, it's and and you grew up, obviously, too, in that blue collar arena in the Mm -hmm. sense of you loved ag, you loved rodeo. And Ashland, of course, has a little edge to it, did in, in my day and in your day, right? It's, it's got that blue collarness yeah. to it, but there was a little dysfunction, of course, and as every town has. Yeah. But do you think that, that that's part of what, why there is so much success from folks in Ashland is that they, you know, there's something to prove, right? There's something to, things didn't always come completely easy for, for folks, or is it something else? No, I think that probably is true. I think people saw issues and said, we can do better. And then there were actually people willing to take the steps to, to do better. I mean, the cleanup along the highway there, um, that was a pretty remarkable feat. And it involved someone stepping forward to say, we've got to get this done and to keep pushing that issue until it happened. So I want to talk about those early influences. Who was someone, you mentioned some business owners, but whether it's school or some other place, where, who, who influenced, who was your first mentor or coach that you really looked up to? It's so funny. Probably one of the first 
people that really sticks with me was Julie Mink, who when I was in kindergarten at this country school, she was the teacher there. And I just remember what a kind, giving heart that she had and how I just felt safe and I wanted to be her and I would watch her and I would see her out there teaching and being patient and helping these kids. And for a long time, I actually thought I wanted to be a teacher just because of her influence. And it's just remarkable to me because if you said, gosh, who was your second grade teacher? I'd probably be like, oh, I'm not really, I can't remember our fourth grade, but you asked me who my kindergarten teacher is. My memories are, you know, crystal clear. I, I love that when I hear those, you know, those stories yeah. about that influence early on. I mean, what's one of the leadership, you know, lessons that you got from her early on? I think the biggest thing was just the compassion and kindness and the passion that she you know, sent out there the vibes that she sent, how much she clearly loved what she did and how important her job was to her and how she treated all of the kids there. And so. So when do you go to Ashland High School? When do you get integrated into the big school? So um, it would have been seventh grade when I first started at Ashland. So here you go from this small country school and you're talking about kindergarten through what, sixth? Yeah. And you're all intermingled, one classroom, just like Little yep. House on the Prairie, right? Yep, exactly <laughs> like that. I even rode my horse to school sometimes. You're so kidding yes, me. No, I wish I was, but it is a true story. <laughs> and, and you could just tie up the yeah. horse every day. Yeah. I just love that. So you go to Ashland, now you, you're in the big school. What was that adjustment like? Um, it would have been harder, except at that point in time, you had one and you had Memphis that both had one room, two room schoolhouses in District 5. And so there were actually quite a few of us that came in in that seventh grade year, which made it easier. I mean, it's still, you know, a lot coming at you. And all of a sudden you have all these different personalities, all these different kids. Um, and so it, it was an adjustment, but it was made easier because by no means was I the only one feeling the things I was feeling and, and worrying about the things I was worrying about. Was there a class that stands out to you when you got into high school or junior oh. high that you're like, this really, I mean, mine was psychology with Chuck Barlin. I mean, it just, <laughs> for whatever reason, I could never concentrate. But when I took his class, I was like, I was dialed in. Was there one that really, whether it was in law or around law, or was there just something that got you mesmerized? You know, I don't know that there's necessarily any specific class where I was just like, wow, holy smokes, blowing me away. Um, probably has more to do with the, the teachers, you know, Bob Simpson, when I started in junior high, I was just like, wow, I love this guy, the energy. And he could have been, you know, talking about anything. And I would have been, yeah, tell me more, tell me more. So um, for me, I don't know that there were any specific topics, but there were a lot of teachers that were impactful to me just because of how they taught. Um, when I was in law school, I was kind of drawn to mediation arbitration. Uh, I had a lot of interest in that. Why do you think that was? I, you know, I don't know. Was it experience I, back on the, where you guys had some issues back, uh, you know, trying to figure out what was going on with the property and that sort of thing, or was it something else? It, it might have been. It's just that recognition that there's always two sides and, and making sure that you're considering both sides and looking for that common ground. So when does the influence start? You had the experience as a child, right? Where you're, you're starting to see the legal system kind of at work, but when does it really hit you? Was there that seminal moment where you're like, I need to be a count or an attorney? 
so I go through law school and I graduate and I'm still not really sure, you know, I like it, but I'm not really sure where I fit. Um, my last year of law school, I had a friend that lived in Kearney. And so I found a job at a law firm in Grand Island so I could live in Kearney with my buddy. <laughs> uh, and that law firm is where it really changed for me, where I really felt like, hey, I like this. I can do this. This is something I enjoy. So that's probably what really lit the fire and made me decide that litigation was probably the direction I wanted to go. Working on the defense side was what interested me and started to give me an idea of specifically the, the type of practice or law I had interest in. And did that law firm do everything? What was they it did. that you were involved in at that time that really got your interest up? So they were a full service law firm. They had corporate attorneys, estate attorneys, employment attorneys, uh, and then they had three attorneys that were pretty focused on just defense insurance work. And so uh, I really connected with those three attorneys right away. Um, you know, they were three attorneys that had a remarkable work ethic. Uh, but the thing I appreciated about them was they never asked more of me than what they were doing themselves. And um, they went beyond just trying to create a good attorney. You know, they encouraged me to be involved in the Chamber of Commerce. They would take me out to their family events. And when Russ was in town, you know, they would take a, Russ and I out to dinner at the country club. Uh, they saw beyond just the associate that was there to make some profit for them. They really looked at me as, hey, this attorney, we're going to do everything we can to develop her into the best attorney and looked at me long term in terms of towards partnership and trying to create a whole person. Was there someone there that took you specifically under your wing? Um, there were Steve Leininger, uh, which is kind of funny because Steve is this really gruff guy and there's a lot of attorneys, even when I say his name now, they kind of cringe, but he could not have shown me more kindness. And I was there only after law school, after I graduated, they offered me a job and I was there only a year and Russ proposed and I walked into the office and here I am with this rock on my hand and he just looks at me and shakes his head um, and then we go into his office and we say, if it's anybody other than Russ, I tell you, don't do it. Um, and then I love it. he, you know, he talked to me about, well, let's make this work, you know, cause at that point Russ was in Omaha, we can make this work. And I just said, you know, Steve, that's not really how I want to start my marriage. Uh, but then what Steve did next, I'll never forget. He started making calls. Um, to help me find a job. He's like, I'm going to help you go to a good law firm with good attorneys. I'm going to make some calls. And he did. Like, he basically got me my next job in a matter of 30 days, all because Steve Leininger picked up the phone and made some calls and said, hey, this attorney is great. You got to hire, you got to make a space for her. And uh, yeah, I have a lot, um, a lot to be thankful with respect to all that Steve did for me. So it sounds like this is one of your first big lessons too, right? In corporate America and the business world that here is someone that is going to lose an incredibly talented young yeah. attorney who's going to pick up that phone, who's going to assist you and put in that person first. Yep. How much has that stayed with you? I mean, is that where it started for you when you first started seeing that from a business perspective? Um, yeah, I, I think that really carried forward with me, the importance of those relationships, the importance of seeing someone beyond just this is my paralegal or this is the partner I work, you know, trying to 
develop relationships with the people that you work with. I mean, we spend hours and days in high-stress situations, and it's a lot easier if you have a person you have a good relationship with and you have trust with. And so uh, for me, I, I definitely carried that forward. I don't know that others I worked with viewed it similarly, which was difficult for me at, at times. But, uh, yeah, it was a good, good life lesson um, and a good professional lesson. So the next step, you've got Russ, who is now proposed, <laughs> bringing you back here to the eastern part of Nebraska, I gotta yeah. imagine, right? Yep. This is your next step. So walk me through that, because in 2021, the big step happens, which is starting your own law firm. Correct. So w- w- walk me through what happens in central Nebraska until 2021. Uh, so I came back to Omaha and I worked in Omaha for a while at a smaller kind of boutique firm. And then I got an offer to go work for a bigger firm, which I, I ended up taking, which uh, it's a good experience. It is a lot different than what I had before. I mean, the firms I'd been at in the past were 10 attorneys. And then, you know, here's this law firm that's 30 some attorneys on the 13th floor. And it's a, a, a good experience. And so I switched and then I, I went to practice at a big firm then for about 15 years. When does it hit you as well? And and tell me about your motivations in 2021 to take the big step, which takes a lot of guts, right? To step out and say, <laughs> I'm going to start my own thing along with some, some other partners. But what was that motivation? You know, the grass is always greener. And anytime you're in a, a job, you always kind of, gosh, you know, what if, what if this, what if that, could this be better? And uh, so I, I thought about it for a long time, um, but it was not lost on me in terms of the risk in doing that. So it took quite a while before I just thought, you know what, I need to find a, a simpler, better way to practice law. At that point, you know, Russ and I have two kids, they're getting bigger, there's more activities. Uh, and it was just really about me feeling like it, it was time to find a way of practicing law that was more consistent with where I was at in my life. Uh, and then you kind of have to just look for the right people um, once I felt it was the right time. You know, if you had a chance to read E-Myth, and I'm sure you probably have, and if you haven't, I'm sure it's in all your free time, Carol, yeah. you'll get to it. <laughs> One of the, the big things that they address is that most people when they go to start their own business, they're looking not so much at money, right? They're looking yeah. at that that ability to have some freedom, some flexibility. Is that in a, yeah. encapsulating in some ways what you were looking for? Uh, yeah, for me, uh, it, it was not about, wow, I bet I could work less and make more, or I could work harder and make more. That was 100% not the motivation. Um, it really was just about being able to define my practice. When you're in a big law firm, you have 30 people, you have eight, 10 different areas of the law. We all practice differently. We all have different needs. We all build differently. And it's a, it's a lot to manage. And you spend a lot of time just managing issues that go along with that volume of partners and the different types of law that you're managing. And that was the part where I just felt like, I know what kind of law I want to do, and I know what I need to do that. And for me, I just was looking for a simpler way to practice law. Nothing to do with about making more money. I could have left there and got zero clients and been broke the next day. Thank goodness that did not happen. But yeah. So what kind of mindset do you have to get? I mean, there's going to be a lot of people who listen to this who, who you know, 
are in positions that are like, man, I, I want to go out of my own. What kind of mindset do you have to really instill in yourself to say, I'm willing to take this on? Um, there's always a lot of self-doubt. And so um, for me, it was first feeling like I had a very clear direction of what I, I wanted. I didn't want to leave something just to recreate the same thing at a new place or fall back into the same thing. So I wanted to know that I had a very clear direction. And then I wanted to know that I had the right people, um, not only in terms of partners, but in terms of staff. And that was probably the piece of it where you kind of get get the self doubt or the stress because, you know, when I leave my firm, I can't go to any of my clients beforehand to say, hey, I'm going to leave. How do you feel about that? I can't go to my staff that I'd worked for for 20 years and say, hey, you know, you guys want to come with me. I have to be out the door before I can have any of those conversations. And so it creates a lot of self-doubt in terms of, are those clients going to stick with me? Um, are those staff going to stick with me before I ever get to talk to them? There's going to be another call that comes before me giving them notice that I have left. Uh, and so that weighs heavily on you because you don't want to create a situation where your clients are upset or feel like they've been abandoned. And I had staff that I'd worked with for, you know, decade or more. And it was hard to not be able to tell them. And then after the fact, go to them and say, wait, no, I want you to come with me, come with me and, you know, hope for the best at that point. Hey, we're going to take a quick break in the show so that you know about Farmers and Merchants Bank of Ashland, the sponsor of Leadership Lessons from Mayberry. You know, few banks can say they've been around for 139 years, but Farmers and Merchants Bank of Ashland has. Why? Because they are locally owned, locally managed, and they are focused on you. They offer full service business banking and you're always going to talk to a live person when you give them a call. They're commercial lenders. They are more than happy to share their expertise and to help you navigate any business financing that you may need, including SBA, TIF, or NEDCO financing. Check them out at fmnb.com or give them a call at 402-944-3316. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. So you talking about partners, you go out and you obviously have started CPW Law, yes. by the way, which yep. stands for uh, Caswell, Panko, and Westerhold Correct. Law. I like Correct. a CPW. It's a little quicker. <laughs> yeah, a nice ring to it. I agree. <laughs> but you, let's first talk about what kind of law, why you chose that. And then I want to talk about a couple of other things. But let's start there. Uh, so... Um, we do nothing but workers' compensation defense. We have one attorney who, who does some estate work, but it basically is 100% workers' compensation defense, which is why the people were right, because we all enjoy that type of law. That's the only type of law we want to do. It keeps it simple. It, it keeps it easy. So tell me what it is about workers' comp law that you love so much. Uh, well, I like it, A, because it's an area of the law where litigation moves quickly. It's in its own entire system where it has their own assigned judges. The Nebraska Workers' Compensation Court has seven judges. All they do are hear these cases. And so these cases progress really quickly. So there's a lot of 
activity. You're always in the courtroom. You're always taking depositions. Um, and then I also enjoy the piece of it that it gives me an opportunity to keep working with the same employers and build those relationships with the employers. You know, we have employers that might have 15 employees, and then we work with employers that might have 1,500 employees. And when you work with those employers for years and years, you really get to know their business. You get to know their people. You develop friendships with the people you work. And so it makes it really enjoyable for me because it allows me to, to kind of almost keep it at a, a more personal level. I mean, I know these people, they're my friends. We go have dinner, we might go have a drink and that piece of it's really nice too. Yeah. And, and now you decide to go out and, and to do your own thing, but you do it and you build a, uh, a woman only, uh, <laughs> business owned, right? And every employee uh, is a female. So was, again, at, at day one, was that like a conscious decision or did it just kind of trip on itself? No, uh, that was never intentional. We did not set out and say, oh my gosh, I'm going to go start a farm with all my girlfriends. <laughs> it really was just a function of who were the right people. And both of these attorneys that are my partners now, um, I had worked with in the past and, um, you know, Jenny Panko, I had worked with for 15 years. And when you work with someone for that long, you kind of get a sense of who they are and you start to realize, you know, wow, yeah, what she said, I, I agree with that. And so I knew that, you know, the partners that we started CPW with were very like-minded and I, they all are very direct communicators, which appeals to me. What do you mean by uh, that? So, you know... If we have a meeting and we're trying to decide what we're going to do, if we need to hire someone, don't need to hire someone, I never have to guess what Jenny Panko or Jen Caswell really thinks of that. We can ask each other the hard questions um, and we can have the hard discussions and we can be frank in our thoughts and then we make our decision and we move on. In many instances with business owners, they have partners and literally in a law firm, you know, you guys are literal partners. Yes. How do you maintain that relationship so that the business continues to thrive, that the, the relationship stays healthy between partners? What would be some advice, some suggestions, and what you have implemented to make sure that that relationship always stays healthy? A big thing is just the communication. I mean, you can't let things fester. And when you do, never does it lead to anything good. And so uh, we always try to, you know, talk at least once a month um, as partners to review financial information and to talk about whatever issues we might have. Um, another good way to make sure our firm keeps running smoothly is to have good people in place that work with us. And we're incredibly fortunate. Yes, they are all women um, uh, to have really good staff uh, that work with us on these claims. And I always joke that I think the clients probably like my legal assistants or paralegals better than they like me most days. But So it's funny because you, you mentioned, here's what I heard. Here's how the, health, the, the relationship stays healthy. Great system yep. in place, right? Yep. And you have great people. Yes. So let's just step back to the people side of it as well. Did it take on a life of its own when it came to, hey, we're going to have a fully owned and every employee is going to be woman or did it was it one of those things where it just kept building saying why don't we just do this it seems to make sense i'm very proud of the fact that it is 100 women owned and women operated at this point in time again it was never intentional i've worked with 
a lot of different attorneys, men, women, a lot of different support staff, men, women. It was never about that. I think um, because they are women, however, we all just kind of have a better understanding of life and what it's like to be a working mom. Jenny and Jen both have um, kids that are in high school right now and one in middle school. And so we just better understand and are more forgiving when we need to be about, you know, life as a full-time partner, full-time employee in a law firm, when you have family, you have kids, you have other things going on in your life. So how do you find great people? That's the other thing. Um, Everyone asks me as a business coach today, they're like, this is at the forefront of almost every business, Caroline. You and I both know this. How do you find great people? Because you're thriving, as you mentioned, because you have found some great people. Um, Yep. We just hired another paralegal and we're looking to hire another paralegal. And then we just hired another new associate attorney that will start May 1st. And in terms of finding good people, it's a function of being patient and being willing to wait for the right person um, and to do your homework. And so it's not easy. uh, And I think we've been very fortunate in terms of when we started the law firm, all of our staff that I had worked with at the prior firm did come with me, which made it so much easier. It would have been so much more difficult to have done this if I had to start with new legal assistants or paralegals or staff. And so it made it a lot easier having those people in place when we came. Now trying to build on that, we have learned our lesson that you just, you need to be patient and you need to be confident in those hires because otherwise you spend a lot of time and energy and resources on training an individual that maybe isn't the right person, and then you have to start over again, it really starts to affect the business and the flow of work uh, and the bottom line when you're constantly hiring and firing. So um, I have two legal assistants that constantly say, we'd rather be too busy than you bring in someone that we're not, you know, Confident is the right fit. And so we actually have started to fold in our paralegals on the interviews when we're looking to hire other paralegals. So they have a chance, you know, uh, these are the people that they're going to be working with. They should have, you know, some voice in whether or not they think the candidate we're looking at or talking to will be a good fit, someone that they can work with. So leave the position open versus get in a rush, right? hundred percent, hundred percent. And, you know, it's kind of, I think, worked out well for us taking that approach. There's not a a high volume of associates or paralegals in our community, but there are some very good ones. And by being patient, we've been able to then connect at the right time with those people. The folks that you've hired love to work there. They stay with you. How do you think the workforce has changed today? What, What does the workforce need today that maybe 10 years ago they didn't necessarily need or demand, or has it changed? Oh, I think it's changed a lot, especially since COVID. And I think people expect, and fairly so, more flexibility. My, you know, paralegals, if they have young kids, if they need to take their kiddo to a doctor's appointment, they don't have to come and say, hey, Caroline, can I have two hours? I'm going to go do this. Do they let me know? Um, And do they look at the calendar to make sure it's not going to create an issue with, you know, some deadlines or something we have going on that day? Yes. But I bet this week alone, I got three messages being like, my kid got sick. I'm going to run, get him from daycare, but I'm going to hop back on. I'm going to try to get this done. Um, And I I feel like our staff also does a good job of jumping in and supporting one another when someone has something come up. 
you know, Jessica Meyer's first one to jump back in and say, no worries, I got this, just go take care of your kiddo. And so I think flexibility is the the biggest key to keeping your staff happy. Boy, we're hearing that from everyone these days is that have that flexibility, which didn't always exist 10 years ago in most employment uh, in places where folks work. But here, let me ask you this. Let's talk about the future. How do you go about establishing strategy in your law firm? And without being too specific, how do you strategize? How do you look out that one, three, five-year window? You know, um, at this point, we, we have just been so busy managing the workflow that we just had a conversation about the fact that you can't take that for granted. You always have to be looking at the next step. Um, one thing, when we started this firm, we didn't want to recreate, again, what we had just left. I mean, we liked the size of our firm. We liked the idea of it being a boutique firm. And so being able to you know, manage the marketing, being able to manage the growth, but still keep the culture that we want in the firm is very important for us. But we kind of just now trying to catch our breath, trying to get people hired, um, are starting to think more strategic about, okay, you know, here we are, we've had some success, but we can't take that for granted. And we need to make certain that we're marketing and we're getting connected and doing the things that we need to do to make sure that that client base stays where we need it to, to stay. Um, and one thing that uh, has come with this new hire that will start in May is maybe opportunity for South Dakota law. We have some clients, a lot of our clients are regional, so they handle all the Midwest jurisdictions. And so we've had some clients that have asked about handling South Dakota. And right now we don't have any attorneys licensed in South Dakota, but this individual that will be starting in May actually has some South Dakota experience. And so we kind of looked at that as maybe an opportunity when the time is right and we're ready this person is here and ready to go, and that'll be our opportunity, you know, to, to maybe expand a bit more. Growth is coming to CPW then that way, just kind of organically who yeah. you hire looking for those opportunities. Yeah, being smart about who we hire. Um, you know, for a long time, I was the only attorney in my prior firm that did Iowa, and I'm really the only one that does Iowa here, and that is an area where there's a lot of opportunity in Iowa, and so this new person also has primarily done Iowa work, and so just being strategic and smart about the people that you bring in, also being strategic and smart about the, the clients that we work with. Um, I learned a good lesson long ago. I think I was probably maybe three years out of law school, and I worked with a really large client. We probably had 30 files in our firm from this client. Incredibly difficult to work with, um, really stressful, wouldn't respond, wouldn't take the action you told them to take. And uh, I was seven months pregnant, and I remember coming back to my office, and I had gotten a, a call from the adjuster that I worked with and her boss, Um, wanted to talk about a file where they had not done the things we had told them to do and not taken the action. So they were in a bad position with respect to that that file. Uh, They left a message saying, hey, Caroline, we're just going to call you, you know, talk to you about this. And the adjuster thought she had then hung up the phone, but she had not and proceeded to throw me under the bus (laughs) 
to her boss um, <laughs> saying, well, I never got anything from Caroline saying I needed to do this. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. So I get back to my office and I just have had enough. And I, I take it down to the partner because I'm like, well, you're surely going to hear about this. So I'm just going to rip the Band-Aid off here. You're going to get a call <laughs> from this gal's boss. And he's not going to be happy because he's going to think that we didn't do what we're supposed to do. And I printed all this stuff. I sent it to her. And um, he said, no, don't worry about it. You know, nope, I know they're difficult. The next day he came in um, and said, uh, well, I took a look at all of this. I listened to the voicemail you sent me. We're going to fire that client. And I mean, that's a 30 file client. That's a big client. That's a lot of dollars for the firm. Um, and I said, well, it's, you know, it's not what I was asking. You know, I just, I needed to vent. I needed you to understand when you got that call that I had done my job. And he said, nope, it's just not worth it. He's like, uh, we will fill that work. Um, and he's like, I sent notice that they need to find new counsel. So we packed up 30 files. That same attorney a week later got me a gift card to center stage for an entire massage day. Um, <laughs> and, you earned that. And it just, it taught me a really good lesson because he was right. Um, we went right back out. We filled up, you know, those plates again. We replaced those files in no time. And it just, it really taught me that, um, if you waste a lot of time with clients chasing tails, clients you can't get along with, you're missing that opportunity to be out looking for the good clients that you enjoy working with. And I think at CPW, we've made a very conscious effort to look for the good clients, clients that we can enjoy working with, that we know are going to do their part. Um, they have high expectations of us, uh, but they're you know a good, a good partner to work with. I love that integrity, by the way, that uh, that you had from, you know, your former uh, yeah. boss who said, hey, let's move on. And I love that you've taken that lesson. Yeah. And every new business owner should know you don't necessarily take on every client, right? Yeah. I mean, no. you've got to do your homework and make sure. Yes. Because it will eat your time. It yes. will take away from you actually being probably more efficient and growing more effectively. Yeah. So yep. let's let, let me ask you this. I, I, I've got to ask about... Um, you know, a mentor, as you know, uh, obviously I do business coaching. And so <laughs> someone in your life who has made an impact, it can be back in school, someone who's coached you, someone who's been an incredible mentor and some of the things you learned from them, the value of having that kind of a mentor or coach well, in your life. You know, I feel like I've had good fortune in that I've had multiple mentors. You know, I've worked with some really remarkable women attorneys. Um, I've worked with some really remarkable male attorneys. I think where I have found my success and, and everybody has, you know, their strengths that motivate them and move them forward is probably just from my work ethic, which goes back to my dad, 100%. Like when I was growing up, I had an older brother, I had a younger brother. He didn't treat me any different than how he treated my brothers. You know, when I was in high school, when I got my car, I had to change the oil in it. He made me go out to the shop one weekend and change the brake pads with him. These are things at the time that annoyed me. <laughs> and I'm sure there's plenty of eye rolling going on. But now I look back and I, I, I can appreciate the work ethic that that helped me to build. And everybody obviously calls attention to the fact that, wow, great, you know, all women, way to go. And I just never looked at it that way. I am just looking for the right people and the best people. And I never say, oh, but you're a guy. I don't know that I want to 
take you. We just want all women. And I think that's probably mostly from my dad who just never treated me different because I was a girl. He demanded the same of me that he demanded of my brothers. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think I've really carried that forward, you know, both, you know, my personal life as well as in my professional life. So before we get to some fun here to enter this, <laughs> in this interview, I got to ask you this, the opportunities for women today, um, in the workplace, uh, as business owners in the workplace, talk about that and how that has changed and the opportunities that do exist. So I have been practicing law now for over 20 years. And when I first started practicing law, the number of women partners in law firms was notably low. And the number of women attorneys in law firms that are part of the management was even less. And I do think, though, that with time, there's been acknowledgement, recognition of the need for diversity and the need for flexibility with respect to women um, in the legal profession. Uh, you know, the firm that I worked at, the large firm, I felt like they gave a lot of opportunity um, to women there. I was on the management committee for, I think, the last five years I was there. There's still always times where you think, hmm, that doesn't you know, seem quite right what happened there. That's really not how it should be. I just had an adjuster call me yesterday um, who was getting in an argument with an attorney on a claim. And she said, I just told that attorney, well, I'm going to have my attorney just call you and sort this out. And that attorney's response was, well, okay, have him call me. And she said, well, wait, um, <laughs> my attorney is a woman and I will have her call you tomorrow. <laughs> I just had to Touché laugh right at there. Jean. So every now and again, there's still always, you know, these assumptions that, um, you know, maybe it, it remains male-dominated, but I do think there's been a, a trend and a shift, and there's very good people out there that, you know, don't view the world that way, that there's opportunity for anyone there that's willing to work hard and, and walk through the door. Well, to your point, and what we're going to finish on today is I had to do some Googling of famous <laughs> attorneys in movies yes. or in TV, and I have to tell you, Caroline, it there weren't a lot. Slim we're going to talk about one. Now, CPW law is changing that as is a lot of other law firms around the country. So, uh, but before we get to, to signing off here, we're going to, we're going to play three and out because this is how we go out of the show with three tough questions. These are tougher questions you've ever faced in your life. The first one, you ready? Ready. You've got to win a case and you have only three attorneys to choose from. They all work for you. You got to pick one of the three to win a case and here are your attorneys. You have Joyce Davenport, the tough attorney, prosecuting attorney on Hill Street Blues back in the 80s, which hopefully you remember Joyce Davenport. <laughs> okay. You've got Atticus Finch, the meticulous Atticus Finch from To Kill a Mockingbird and from A Few Good Men, and I don't remember his last name, Lieutenant Daniel. It was the Tom Cruise you know, uh, attorney that got Jack Nicholson to say, you can't handle the truth. So you've got to win the case. Is it Joyce Davenport, Atticus Finch, or Lieutenant Dan from uh, A Few Good Men? 
So I, I, I'm not familiar with Joyce Davenport, but I have to say, and I've never heard of Joyce Davenport, I appreciate those attorneys that fly under the radar because lots of times they are the most effective and smartest person in the room. Uh, so I'm going to go with Joyce Davenport because Absol- I don't know anything about her. <laughs> she was good. She was tough. And you know, I was going to throw Aaron Brockovich in there. Oh. But she was paralegal. To say, but not it, listen. Darn good one, right? I was going to say, yeah. I think mine could give her a run for the money any day of the week, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, here we go. When will Matt Rule, how long will it take for Nebraska football coach Matt Rule to get Nebraska bowl bound? Just to six oh. wins. Oh, I'd say no more than two years. He might do it in the first. I say Look two years you. we're heading to a bowl. You're drinking the Kool-Aid, aren't I you? I am. I do every time. <laughs> I was super excited about Scott Frost. I'm the last well, person. Who loves I have it? no credibility. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Two years, we're going to hold you to that. Okay. Last one. Here we go. You're at home. You've got no kids uh, at home tonight. They're, they're out running around. Russ is gone. You get to make yourself a pizza. And it's guilt-free. Whatever you want. What is going on top of that pizza? Uh, I like to keep things pretty simple. So there's probably going to be some burger and some cheese and maybe some tomatoes and mushrooms. Well, that is simple. I, I can't believe there wasn't something really like, you know, Oh, I devious. will say, I do yeah. love cream cheese on pizza, which is where Russ and I disagree when it's time to order. But yeah, I might throw a slab of cream cheese on there. There we go. Now <laughs> we're getting the truth. I knew it. I knew it. Well, listen, uh, you have been you know, amazingly successful. And um, to to get CP Law rolling here, you opened it in 2021. It is doing exceptionally well. You have a real vision. Um, your work ethic is unheralded. Um, and I know this from experience as you were my work comp attorney when I owned a couple of businesses. Um, but congratulations to you. Keep up the great work. And, and it's just been, honestly, it's been a lot of fun to learn and I really have learned and a lot of other folks are going to learn from you. So thanks for coming on. You're overly generous with your praise, Tim, but I appreciate you having me today. A Huda Media Production.